Tell me about the Ibiza club world at the moment. It's the, the melting pot of like, you know, European culture. Eat and rave and beach yeah. and, you know, vibe out. It's been an island of rest and relaxation for like 2,000 years, yeah. longer. Since the Romans were stopping there, um, when they were going from Cadiz to Rome, they would stop in Ibiza. Then it was there was an age of salt there and, you know, a lot of like writers and creatives and poets and pop stars have been staying there for, for, yeah. for years, you know. And it never ceases to, to amaze you. Like, Clubland's like, you know, a part of what's going on in Ibiza and yeah. it's very easy to fall into the thing that it's yeah, the it's only part. Welcome to The Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. From throwing secret raves in the halfpipe of a Bristol skate park to living the good life in Ibiza, Ramesh has had events running through his veins from an early age. His early years of creating great parties in that unique space in Bristol grew into something altogether different, and the world-famous Motion Nightclub was born, attracting some of the biggest names on the dance scene. Fast forward 18 years, and Ramesh has also managed artists, become a successful investor, and even brought the incredible Elro to the UK. If you've never witnessed an Elro event before, do yourself a favour and get to one. It's where theatre meets clubbing, and it's an unbelievable experience. Ramesh came to the studio during a visit to the UK from his home in beautiful Ibiza. This is the eventful life of Mr. Ramesh Satguru. Ramesh, welcome to the show, mate. Hello, Dodge. How are you getting on? Oh, very good, very good. Very much looking forward to this one in the uh, the space we're both in. Let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and how did you get into the world of events and festivals and music? I was born in Bristol, left when I was three. Um, grew up my uh, infant years, start of adolescence years in Chester. Moved to Holland when I was 12. From Holland, um, ended up going to go on a gap year abroad, like traveling, um, found like electronic music, went to some festivals, 2004, uh, went to Dance Valley and um, a couple of full moon parties and just some like very well run Dutch festivals. Mm. And at that point moved to Bristol to go to university in 2004. Nice, the Dutch do a good festival, right? Incredible. Mm. I think like rave kind of started in Holland and in Europe started well in Germany, Holland and, and England all at the same time. But when the UK brought in a ban, mm. it sort of slowed down the industry a little bit. But whereas Holland just consistently carried on with that industry mm. and their festival economy is it's just so strong. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's bred people that made careers in dance music for the last for the last 30 years. Yeah, it's that yeah. company ID&T that's just an incredible company. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell me your journey then. You went to Bristol Uni. Did you did you find nightclubs there? Yeah, so I went to university for a term. And those anyone <laughs> that um, anyone that um, that was at Bristol for the maybe eight or nine years that I ended up being there, yeah. um, being a student promoter um, and then a house and techno promoter after that, um, will just attest that like um, we threw many fun parties for people coming entering their world of dance music so people from like 18 to 21 during the week and then at the weekend we found like 
out their venues like skate parks, car parks to like throw raves out of the weekend. This was all from the years of like 2005 was my first ever party. January 2005 was the first ever party I put in in Bristol. And um, yeah, I carried on until. So tell know. me, what was that first party? 2005, how old were you? The first 21. one. I'm born in 1984. So yeah, 21. Tell me that first party. Do you know what? I just turned up in the, in the city and realized I had lots of friends from, from different schools that I'd been to, from different traveling bits that I'd done. They all lived in all the different halls, Bristol and UE, and just wanted to get to know them. And it was pre-Facebook. Um, so I was lucky to have lived, just promoted and lived the end of pre-Facebook promoting. So I used to promote for other people's club nights. And most of the club nights in Bristol at, at that time, it was like post Lakota being amazing for house and techno, Scream was not like like amazing. And the, most of the club nights were R&B and drum and bass. And I used to promote for like, I'll give props to a guy called James Cock, who owns the Gala Malfrey now. And, and he used to run a student um, company called Ice Cold Parties. And I used to promote for him and Anehi um, and just get people to come to their nights. You know, I had a flyer in my back pocket for every night of the week. And um, event, uh, like after a term, I, I sort of convinced James to, to fund my first night. And me, me and um, my friend at the time, Harry Stewart, who's now a lawyer, put on this party called Rhythm and Grooves. Um, we got one of my close mates from from school to DJ, who's like an incredible DJ, Tom Rio. Um, my driving instructor did the warm up because I was learning how to drive at the time. <laughs> and um, we just got, you know, it's that, that feeling, you say it when you talk about the events, is that feeling of having hundreds of people lined up outside the club yeah. trying to get in. You can't beat that feeling. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. And the first time you do that and the first time you see it, I can still visualize it now. It was at like... Um, uh, a bar called Soda Bar, which is next door to where the Mandrake was, below the bridge at the bottom of Park Street, if you know it. If you're going down Park Street, the big hill in Bristol, there's the bridge. You look down to the left. I don't know what it's called now, but it was called Soda Bar in 2005. And we'd forgotten to get someone to do the cloakroom. And we got my friend, our friends Daisy and Lily to do the cloakroom. And we were just like, ah, we didn't know where to put the jackets. Yeah. And we just like round out a club with loads of sort of every year, first year, second year, third year students. We were first year students. And it was just like an incredible feeling. And that was the start of your journey, was it? Yeah. That was the start of the journey. What was it that made you go, right, you know what, I'm, I'm leaving university. I've done a term. It's not for me. You started promoting for other people. What was it that you thought, you know what, I could make a career out of this? Did you know back then or do you think I just need to earn money? Do you know what? It was, um, <laughs> it was the fact, I think if I did a degree like history or philosophy or something where you you could do a bit more reading in your spare time then i might i might have carried on and, and done it but i was doing chemistry oh mate you miss your labs who, then... who, 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 who said to do that as a degree do you know what i loved it um <laughs> uh, I, I loved i loved it still 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 do really? to a lot of, to, to to a lot of effects um but um but yeah so after like i started throwing nights like i got a couple of other ideas with a couple of other people to throw some more nights some more like weekend house music techno nights inspired by back to basics from leeds and um we just carried on you know and what was your business model back then was it was it you take door money they take bar money yeah 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the classic, like the higher fee for the club. I mean, we tried to make it a little bit more inventive as as the sort of shows and the years went on. But mm. yeah, basically, like higher fee. If you could negotiate, if if you could negotiate a free higher fee, then you well, you know was, you're doing well. That was jackpot. If you had a freebie, yeah. And then quite often we you'd get it because you'd go like, oh, we can do this Monday. You know, there'd be like two hundred quid. We'd be like, oh, we'll pay that for the first two. But if we're full, we want it for free. Yeah. Um. That that kind of stuff. Um. Yeah. It was just like create. I was trying to create experiences where like people from all the different halls and all um all, both the unis could come and enjoy themselves at, during the week and then at the weekend i was trying to push the boat out to bring um music that hadn't been to bristol before yeah. come to bristol yeah stuff like um claude von stroke from dirty bird or like jamie jones people like that yeah so the, so the, so you were there you were in your first year you still living in halls I lived in halls for the full year. In fact, we ran the halls ball at the end of the year, which was incredible. So, so basically, that's that started your events career, doing balls, doing the club nights, etc. What was the journey for you to say, right, I'm going to do a weekly night, I'm going to take the door money, and I'm going to be promoting the backside here with flyers and posters and being a nuisance around Bristol, so everyone knew about your <laughs> uh, about your event. Yeah, so I didn't start doing a weekly night until um, what would have been my second year, right? And uh, I really started with Freshers Week because you just saw like, I mean, it's the classic. It's a banker, if you're, isn't it? <laughs> if you're a student promoter, like you've done it. Um, and, you know, Freshers Week, it's just like, it's just great. And I ended up running like clandestines or illicit Freshers Weeks for um, for Bristol Halls for like the next seven to 10 years, I think, with like other students. As I got older, we had other students that would come in their first year or second year that you get to know them. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing about having been a student promoter for like yeah. nine years is you got to know people from 2004 to 2011. I was like meeting people yeah. on the first day that they got to uni. Yeah. And some people I, I know now, like Theo from Warm Street or, or Hugo who lives in South Africa, like I met them on their first day day mm. they turned up at university so you meet them when they're like 19 years old mm. and you see the evolution of of these people and see them grow and now now they're in their 30s and like doing incredible things like entrepreneurs in their own rights yeah yeah so what was the journey for you from the nightclub world then did you ever think about owning a nightclub or did you want to stay as a promoter yeah so um after i've been doing it a few years so let's say 2005 six, seven. when you're doing stuff for the first time it's really exciting and you're like this is amazing. Let's try a new club. Let's let's try and like go a bit bigger or let's bring some new artists in. Then after a while I was like, um, cause I guess I'm like quite quite ambitious, like um from my from the inside out. And I was like, oh, well, you know, what's next? Like, do you own a club? Do you start a festival? Do you um do you look into other areas of the music industry? And what I ended up doing was, I can't remember what year, maybe it's like 2007 or eight or something. I, I, I had a, had a friend, like a really good close mate from school who was working with a producer called Tom Neville and Tom called his manager up. Um, in fact, it was just after we did the first ever show at Motion. So Tom played for and us. What's, and what's Motion? Motion's a nightclub in, um, it's still a nightclub in the top 20 nightclubs in the world now for the last five or in six Bristol. years. In Bristol. What's the capacity there? I think it's 4,000, 3,800. Don't hold me to the license oh. agreement. I haven't worked there. That's a for... massive, massive class, a super club. That's yeah, huge. I mean, you, you, it's it's modular, so you can open different, yeah, different bits rooms, of it, different yeah. bits of it at different times. And when when we started, like the first event that we did there, which the first events there really were 2006. 
and uh, it was 2006 August Bank Holiday, the old classic. And Tom Neville came to play for us. I mean, we could talk about motion a bit later. And uh, Tom then called his manager after that. So it must have been January 2007 and said, oh, can can my mate Rag, as I was called at the time, yeah. um, was, uh, can he come and do an internship for you? And I ended up doing an internship for Calvin Harris's manager because he was his, his manager at the time, just when he made, I created Disco, his name's Mark Gillespie. And um, they were in the same office or partners with Dead Mouse's manager. Yeah. So it was like 2007 and I had this like experience of three months being the intern for, for these guys' managers. I mean, that, back then they weren't, like as huge as they are now, yeah. Calvin and Deadmars, but it was amazing to watch what the, the growth. The yeah. growth in that in 2007, just after I create Disco, yeah. Deadmars was like, you know, I don't know, five grand DJ at the time. Yeah. What's he you now? Know? I don't even know. Like they, they could, be... they should be worth like they, they could do shows for a million dollars, yeah, right? Absolutely, but or, or more. Like I, I don't. You, you can't quote me on that. Yeah. I don't know. Depends where. When, yeah, it's yeah. it's all yeah su supply and demand, but they're just both incredible artists, and I was lucky to have three months with both Mark and Dean. Who, so what um, were you were learning? What were you learning? Andy. What were you learning from them? Amazing. Um, in, in some days I was doing their receipts. Yeah. Uh, other days I was doing the office move. But um, but some magical days when you do those internships, they're like, do you want to come for lunch with me? With me and Hugo or. You know, you, you get to go to these lunches and meet meet these people or get to walk in with them to a publishing meeting or, you know, meet meet people that you then re-meet on your music industry journey, like yeah. later down the line, like Harvey or Tom or, um, and that was like a really interesting experience. It's funny because I left that going, probably don't want to be an artist manager, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> which is what five years later, which is what I ended up being. Yeah. And I went back and been like, let's just be a promoter. And it got, got me really like jazzed up for going back to Bristol and being just an exceptional prom nightclub promoter. Yeah. And we sort of took motion, took the ball more by the horns at motion, brought some other promoters in, um, someone called Rob Cracknell and Tom Hoyle, who do incredible events still to this day. Um, Tom Payne, like different people that like gave the venue like, different bits of their yeah, love yeah. and did that for a few years. Tom really helped the venue get the license. So 2006, seven, eight, nine, yeah. we were on temporary event notices. There was, it was a skate park. Yeah. Like we used to do a rave in the nine foot. Is that right? Yeah, it was amazing. Like, so this um, is the one, this is the one you got a capacity for 3,800 roughly. Now, like, no, yeah. it's a different place now. Okay. We're like, that's 2006. So back then, what did you, what did you see back then as an opportunity, as an entrepreneur going in there? What did you see? This is a really, really great question. Cause I was like, it's 2006, right? Um, so what, I was like 22. I did like these parties in now, what is the tunnel and the terrace with um, a guy called Amos, Waves and Strays and Dan, who's Eats Everything yeah. on Radio One now. Yeah. And um, those parties were seminal for my friend group. There were like 300 people or so. And then the venue sort of like shut for a bit there was some sort of strangeness that happened with it. Like couldn't do any more parties. Uh, and then the owner of the skate park or was the BMX park called me. His name's Tom Kilford. Now owns a fishing lake in France. Um, and I go and stay with him occasionally. He's earned his money. He's off skis. Well, yeah, it's something like <laughs> yeah. that. And like, um, but he's just like, you know, he's on a different tip and so am I. Yeah. And, um, but it's nice talking about these, these old days and, mm. 
filling people with the stories of what this, I guess, super club is now. Mm. Uh, brilliant place, Motion. And the early years are just so special. And I was just like 23 then. And I was like, we could do parties. He was like, you can do parties, but you can't do them outside on the terrace. But you can do them in here. And he showed me this nine foot vert ramp. Yeah. And I was just like, we can do this. Mm. And But I was like, shit, I've only ever thrown parties for three, 400 people, mm. you know, with a queue out the door all the time. But I was like, how do you do this? You need a thousand people. And in June 7th, 2007, was the first half pipe rave we did. And I basically asked all the other strong promoters in the city to do it. Like Grayson and Lee from Play, the, um, Dave and Steve from Scene. Like I've just asked everyone like just do you want to do it even even rob and tom from the blast and it's just like no one really sort of bit and then i sort of went to the what were the biggest promoters in town at the time who did breakbeat and uh sort of managed to convince them to like do this they were like oh i don't know whether it'll work but like go on then like we'll just like but the DJs will will come together and we'll put it together. And they, they, they're they wicked people. I'm still friends with them now. Charles, Julian, and John. Uh, and we did this party, Crafty Cuts in one room, Serge Santiago in the other. And we built this thing where the breakbeat and the house music came together. House music wasn't that big in Bristol in those days. Then we did more of those parties with like, um, I guess like Arme and the Plump DJs, or eventually getting to the point where I think at the end of 2008 or nine, we did Jamie Jones and Deadmau5. Jamie Jones in the small room, Deadmau5 in a big room. Yeah. I used my link from from working for their management company yeah. to get him down. We had Deadmau5 in motion. Mm. And like around that time was was when Tom Payne came into the venue and just like really like made it work, like helped it get his license. Just I just want to visualize what you hired. You're saying you hired a pipe here. What what is it? An outdoor arena? Is it a car park? What explain to me? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna after afterwards yeah. I'm gonna send you some pictures, but I'll give you the visual by words now. Like basically, um the building that motion's in is is a set of three warehouses. Yeah. Uh and then a sort of annex attached. And next to the annex, there's like a little pebbled terrace. I don't know whether it's pebbled still now, mm. but like a terrace that looks over on a canal. So you've got the terrace, couldn't put music out there, people smoking and stuff. Mm. The annex was the tunnel in the cave. Um, at this point in time, Motion only had one of those three warehouses. Yeah. And in that, there was a BMX park. And so okay, it's okay. sort of like split into, th in those days, it was split into like three. And one third of it was a vert ramp. Yeah. So like um, nine foot high on either side. And then there was a viewing platform. And we put the DJ on the viewing platform. Yeah. And we did that for a while. But then every time we'd come down, like the owner, Tom Kilford, would just like change it around, like unscrew unscrew the ramps or do something different. I mean, those days we were putting thousand people in there on a temporary event notice with yeah. like three portaloos. Do you know what I mean? We were just like, it was <laughs> right. Go for it, see what happens. It was pirate. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like pirate putting on parties. That's but perfect. Yeah, it's amazing. It's perfect. It's amazing. I'd love to go back to those old days. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, they were, they were like early days of motion. And yeah. those days in Bristol, everyone friends, like all the promoters, like having a bit of competition, but also going back to each other's houses afterwards. Yeah. I mean, amazing, Good like, times. joyful to talk about it again. Mm. So what was, the, what was the next step then? Did you want to convert that? Did you want to own it? What, what, was, what was your movement from there? Yeah, so we did something. It got us all started getting like more serious, I don't know, a bit more official. We really still didn't know how to do business, let's say, but we set up some companies um, and uh, we started doing this thing called InMotion, which started in 2010. The first company was, was InMotion in 2010. And um, 
that like carried on for 10 years in the end. I I think I did three years of it. What is in motion? And in motion was where like um me and two other promoters, Rob Cracknell and Tom Payne, joined with the venue owner and we like hired the venue from the venue owner, if you if that deal makes sense. So for the new company hired the venue for three months. Yep. And it was our like oh, you, so you took it on for three months. So yeah, you could use yeah, it every yeah. day if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we took the bar and stuff as well. And did you use it every day? Or was it just Thursday, Friday, Saturday? No, or we, didn't Friday, use it, Saturday? Uh, we didn't use it every day, but it develops, you know, yeah. like the, over the years it develops. So we did In Motion. That was a big move. I guess we looked to Manchester and saw the warehouse project. Yeah. Uh, I remember I called them. I don't know whether Sam, uh, Sam probably will not remember, but um, we know each other now. Those days, I remember calling him and be like, do you want to do the warehouse project in Bristol? I was a bit nervous. I was young. Yeah. And they were like, Nah, we're good. We're good in Manchester, yeah. <laughs> and then we're, then we're like, let's let's set up. We, we basically set up like. Um, Isn't it Sasha a, Law who owns the Warehouse Project? And Sam Candell. Yeah, okay. um, and um, yeah, he's they're both great yeah. promoters, businessmen. Yeah. And um, we we did in motion, and we sort of dry hired the venue. Did that for those three months. Did it for a couple of years in a row, and um, yeah, it went well, and it carried on for another ten years. Um, yeah. It was a, it's a great concept. I mean, the venue's now, like, the modern day of the venue, it's owned by Dan and Martin, who, were, who again, like, great. And they, like, they, they've taken all the warehouses and they built it up. And then from, like, 2016 or so, it's been getting in the top 20 clubs in the world right. every year, wow. like, in the DJ Mag listings. And I sort of left in 2012 to set why, my... Why did they take it on why did they say the opportunity did they get investment did they do it themselves because if you're amalgamating three warehouses to turn it into one big club that's that, that's a big dollar thrown into that investment wise yeah i don't know i don't know the answer to that um like i moved on in 2012 moved to ibiza set up an artist management company and um i did go back to motion for a few years but in like a different capacity like i worked for them as like bookings and creative director yeah. for like three or four years yeah. set up a new team there but i just did my bit yeah i was doing it from spain yeah so it was a different so thing. did you what what made you get into the artists the artist world management world obviously you had a taster when you had your sort of internship for three months what made you leave being a promoter taking the door money the the, the sort of the the high life the partying hard playing hard for you to go right i'm off now i'm going to ibiza to kick back and i'm gonna set up a new business so i'd had the taster of like the internship thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. But I'd also seen how that world worked. Mm. I'd seen like, you know, how the business worked. And um, I didn't really go to Ibiza till quite late. Like 2009 was my first time. And I'd never actually ever been there and got accommodation. I used to just fly in, go to a DC-10, go to a cocoon, fly, fly out. <laughs> three <laughs> People, day bender. Three, three, <laughs> day, three days and then come back for Groove On, which was our Wednesday <laughs> night party. Sometimes they'd be looking for me because uh, I'd be just asleep in the office. But um and because I'd get back and not make the party, I'd sleep yeah. in the office in Bristol. But um, yeah, like um, my, basically my friend, like very good friend, um, Ed Carney, who was then the techno editor of Mixmac, um, got the opportunity to do some press for some some DJs and that press turned into management. And one day he sat me down after we did an amazing Halloween party and he was just like, do you want to come and do this with me? It must have been 2011 or something. And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd gone, left the London thing and gone and done five years of being a promoter, thought about other things. 
like setting up stuff, got involved in setting up a festival in 2012 and, but then got offered this management company. And I was just like, yes, it just, in my gut just said, So yes. you got offered a management company. Someone said to you, I want to bring you in 50-50 or was it you setting up yourself? He had started like doing press and managing some DJs yeah. at the time. And um, he was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, let's go, like, let's do it. And it's 50-50. Yeah. So we just, but like that was that did was did you have to chuck any money in yourself we bootstrapped it you bootstrapped okay yeah so why ibiza obviously for the obvious reasons but did was that just a something that you need to get out of the system we were working with house music i still live in ibiza now yeah i love it same um same. I i've been going it. since the age of 17 yeah and every year it is it, it's, the, it's special it's the one no there's one of two places that i like hold as pillars in my life and the reason the reasons that I hold them both special is because as you grow and evolve as a person the place can evolve with, with you with you agree totally and agree. still give you that same joy that same love but you don't have to do the things that you did when you were yeah. six or when you were 18 or yeah. when you're 70 and the yeah. other thing with like that everyone of all ages like hangs out with each other yeah agree and the other place to that for me is glastonbury yeah. I've got my Ibiza tattoo and the Glastonbury one's coming. Yeah. So it's did, like... Did you go Glasto this year? Yeah, 100. 100, like, like three to two years, th to three years between this one and the last one. Yeah. Like, everyone was just buzzing. Everyone's yeah. there on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, That's on, a special festival, isn't it? Mate, like, special. I mean, you, you're a festival owner, so yeah. you look at it and it's just, I mean, look, it's 52 years ago since the first one. And recently I bumped into a few people that have like, been to the first one or the second one or something so my mate's house the other day and his mother-in-law was like we, we got back from glastonbury and she was like oh i i went to it and yeah. it's like one of the, the first two yeah. like i was just like i was like what and that's when you used to get a free bottle of milk i think so yeah rumors have it yeah yeah. and yeah. now it's two hundred and fifty thousand people in a thousand acre site is it 250 now wow yeah. i think it's like four miles by four miles right the Wild. site and um, obviously like everything's just you just walk do you know what i mean yeah. we camp with arcadia who are just like so Madness, great yeah so great they, those guys Did you get yourself to shangri-la yeah yeah of course so we went went, went everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. um favorite spot has to be the secret underground piano bar on the side of the stone circle i had to yeah. queue up for like way over an hour just to, to get, get in. in there but like <laughs> it's just class yeah that is class so so who, not so secret now right who, uh, yeah <laughs> who were you looking after then so you're 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 a management agent for who were you looking after back in the day? Oh God, we the company like nearly a decade, and we did about 20, 25 DJs over over that time. Um, me personally looked after um, Eats Everything, Richie Ahmed, um, Saban, Groove Armada, Maceo Plex. Yeah. Like Quality. this, like it, it, it depends whether you're into. Patrick Topping was part of the the company. Yeah. Like I ended up like signing, like working on signing a lot of the artists and the ones that I that I worked on. Um, just with people that I that I loved. Just give me an example of what the business model is is being an agent. Uh, we were management, so we worked with agents. Um, and so you were actually so you were you were management. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you would sign them. So um, you would sit in the middle of um, their business and yeah. it's essentially help them like um, managing direct or creative direct their, their business. You take a lot of the creative from them and like execute what 
what they wanted you to do on like music campaigns and on like gig stra- touring gig strategy. Yeah. Um, Give me an example of what you would do for someone touring because obviously they would earn most of the chunk of their money, well, especially these days, is live working events, festivals. What, what, what would you do? Yeah, I was a, me personally, I was as a manager, I was a touring specialist rather than uh, a music specialist because yeah. I'd come from being a promoter. So I used to know all the promoters in the country. It's probably why I'm why I'm here, right? I saw you do that yeah. podcast with with Rob Starr. He's yeah. just a legend. Um, Eastern Electrics. Eastern Electrics. Good yeah. lad. Yeah, and like a mentor of mine. So like, I just knew those people. Like I used to go to Rob's parties. I used to go to Shane's parties in Leeds or Lee McDonald's parties in Birmingham or Sam Sam's parties in Manchester. And you, you just, I'd just been going to those parties yeah. for years. Yeah. So when, and I'd been doing mine in Bristol. So we all knew each other. Nick in Cardiff, like all yeah. different, the backroom lot in Cardiff. We used to just go to each other's parties and uh, junk in Southampton. Mm. And so I just had up my, on my thumbs and my messages um, or my phone. I used to be on the phone a lot yeah. and just like knew, knew those people. So when I started managing DJs, like Eats Everything or Patrick Topping, I'd be like, and then when they're on the up, yeah. you know, you're like, or they're new and they're fresh and they've got new records out. I'd be on the phone or messaging those promoters who were the best in their city and be yeah. like, will you take them on? Yeah. Rich McGuinness in Liverpool. Remember he put like, eats everything in room three at Circus, then room two at Circus, then room one. Then like he's end, he ends up headlining it. I mean, now he's like, he's absolutely massive. He's everything. Yeah. And it's like, I spent a, you know, an eight year journey with him. It was, it was amazing. Um, and yeah, got, I think his new tunes. So good. Yeah. So good, yeah. and I, th- I think he's got. Um, well, he's got more up the sleeve. So, um, so yeah. So, how would you how would you earn? What's your business model there? Would you take a percentage of everything? Yeah, you, you, you let, as, you, as you a manager, as a manager, you take a you take a percentage um, of um, touring income and music income uh, after costs. So um, after like travel costs and stuff, and um, you usually get paid last. Like the promoter gets the ticket company takes the money. The promoter gets paid. The promoter pays the agent. The agent holds the money until the day of the gig. Then afterwards, the the agent pays through like one week or one month later or one day later, depending on how you do your accounting. The DJ holds the money. You invoice the DJ once a month. Right, okay. Kind of works. Okay. Like, okay. Kind of works like that. It's an interesting. So I always kept a balance with still being a promoter while I did this. Yeah. So I'd stop like my Bristol promoting because when you're running, I guess if you think about business, you think about cash in the bank, right? And you... If you're in management, like you're at the end of the chain. Yeah. Um, it's an emotional business as well. I mean, it's amazing. But it was an amazing. Um, Give me your feedback. Time. Give me your thoughts on what you what it was like to deal with agents. Like, look, I went to Glastonbury and I did my own thing at Glastonbury, but then I also bumped into like all my, my old like music promoting like yeah. mates, and it's just like agents are great. Like, it's a game, isn't it? And you just have to like play that game with your booking from them or whether you're, when you're the manager, it's like good cop, bad cop. The manager's the good cop and yeah. the agent's the bad cop, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. try and get the, you know, the best deal for the artist, whether, whether that, it's not always they're going for the heavy money, you know? I've had times where, you know, one of the most incredible agents in the game, Fatboy Slim's agent, and I'd never booked him before, he's scary, like as an agent. Yeah. Um, I've never really booked much from him and um, scary. It's not the right word, but he's just like, just clinical. Yeah. He calls me up once and I was like, oh, how's it going? Yeah. And, and he's, his name? His name's David. Yeah. And, uh, and he was like, we want to do Norman with you. And I was just like, what? I was like, it was emotion. I was like, what? You, you want to do, you want to do 
like no Fabio's limit motion and he's just like they wanted to do it yeah. because they had a plan yeah. and they were just like we're going to do it and they just made it like really sound for you but then another time i'm trying to book Fatboy slim for elro yeah. and it's like painful just uh, we, yeah. he did it in the end but like it's the op it's, it's the opposite experience because i'm trying to sell them something that i want them yeah. to do and it's the opposite experience when you're no negotiating the deal but you know then you know these people as friends like that agent's now uh, like an incredible friend of mine yeah. i get a lot of learning from him and we we both live in ibiza so yeah. so yeah what's your experience of being on the other side being a promoter going through an agent trying to get a dj see i was doing both at the same time because i, I sort of went back as i started to set up the management company uh i was managing djs 10 15 on a roster and uh, th i think that was the advantage for me and then i was also went back to motion as the bookings and creative director and uh, I had a team that was booking there. And I also brought Elro to the UK at the same time, 2015. So what, these, from, what, from Ibiza? I went first in Ibiza, but they're from Barcelona. Like yep. their story is like incredible story. So you say you say you brought Elro from Spain into the UK? Yeah. I'm, do, 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 do you know what? Like I'm going to have to pre precurse this because you, although I did bring it and I was the partner, the first partner here, yeah. Rob Starr brought Elro to the UK before we did. Is that right? He didn't even mention Elro on the... Yeah, he, he, did, a, he did a stage with them at, at Eastern okay. Electrics. But he did one stage with them at Eastern Electrics one year. Just explain to, to the listeners here what Elro is. Oh my God, it's a sensory overload experience. I, I call it, and I don't know whether this is from their brand guidelines, but like I call it where theatre meets clubbing. Yeah. And, it, and then these days you probably splash a lot of art into that as well because they work with amazing artists that build these amazing stage sets and they've yeah. developed into like not only a nightclub company but a festival company and i spent five years being being partners with the family and they were very at the time that i was a partner with them i didn't think they'd had a sort of like an official like business partner for like a long time i joined at the same time as a guy called vicence who i learned a lot from um i think it was like 2015 that i joined what gave you the idea of bringing it to the uk Oh, basically, that's you're asking some good questions there. Like I, I'd been going to London a bit while I was managing artists, and I've been staying at my friend's warehouse flat. She's called Joe Vidler, and she was the, one of the early creatives at Secret Garden Party. She was one of the founders of Wilderness Festival. Two very good festivals. I mean, in, um, she's just an incredible, incredible name? creative, Joe Vidler. Okay, um, where's she based? Do you know what? She went to uni in Bournemouth. Um, Did she? A load, load of that crew went to uni in Bournemouth. I'd love to, I'd love to meet her. She's based in Ibiza. Um, yeah, I'll get her on the podcast. Well, you um, know what? I'll come out to Ibiza, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll come out for a week and do about 10 podcast episodes. Yeah, yeah, be good, actually. Absolutely. Duncan, over that. Duncan lives in Ibiza, too, from yeah. ID&T. But yeah. like, it's, it's nice. Um, there's a podcast studio, a great podcast studio there called The Hub. Is the there? The co-working space. that Whereabouts? we all it's near, near Santa Gertrudis. We we all we all work from there actually. Like I'm I'm invested in it, part of it. And um we all we all work from there. And then you have got like Paradise, they've got an office there. Yeah. Drum code's got an office there. Joe Fiddler, who I'm talking about. Mate, I'm office. all over that. I'm I'm dead serious. I'm gonna uh get myself over and we get a load of people on the podcast. I'll, I'll set you up with Sam, the founder of the hub. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a, he's an incredible, incredible. Dan, human. I think we're going to, uh, Ibiza, mate. Amazing. <laughs> they've got this thing, actually, you can, or do you maybe tell them all out there, but yeah. they've got this thing, the hub, they've got this concept that they work on. It's called, um, you know, everyone's on the WFH work from home, yeah. do your laundry and all yeah. that. But they've got WFA work, work from anywhere. Okay. And if you can work from anywhere, 
why not work for my beefer? Yeah. So they do this product where like October to May, where they'll take a company out, they'll get, they, they sort you out of villa, you will work from their meeting rooms, conference rooms. It's a really nice space to work from. Um, what a great idea. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, you Sam, know what, I like October and Ibiza. October is amazing. Amazing. No one knows October's about a- it. April, April, amazing. Or sp- spring for me. Yeah. Like I, I did my first full spring 2021 last year. Yeah. Oh my God, it's amazing. Like uh, it's just, because it's just, it's not as busy. You can get to the car parks. But in. the weather starts to turn nice. The moment the clocks change, yeah. you're just like, you're hiking on Friday afternoons. You, you, you're going on Saturday and getting a parking spot at Salinas or Calacompta or yeah. Benaras. And it's like, you're there on Saturday with yeah, your mates. Yeah, yeah. No, everyone's not like full busy. I mean, it was lucky 2021 because obviously like clubs were still shut and all that. Like, so everyone was just a bit more beach, yeah. beach here. but it wasn't too... You know, I mean, it's just, Ibif is amazing. It's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I agree. I've been agree. making some little lists of like recommends that people have got. It's now, it's now turned into a bit more of an all year round culture. I've yeah. been there 10 years now, like on and off. And um, yeah, it's a more all year round culture. Places like the hub really help with that. If I ever left the UK, it would be go to live in Ibiza. That as well, good. Mm. So I want to go back to Elro. Yeah. Because everything that I've seen about Elro just looks amazing. Where did you bring it to? So, so in 2012, my first year in Ibiza, when I was doing the artist management, I went for the first time. I went in when it was in Privilege in the Vista Room. Yeah. Thousand people-ish going, and it was just wild and crazy. I vividly remember there was, this got glass on one side of the walls, Privilege, so you can see the sunrise and stuff. Yeah. And there was an abseiler, abseiling down <laughs> that was dressed as a clown, like pulling <laughs> funny faces in the window. I was Freaking like, everyone out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like all this mad stuff. I met the owner. Yeah. They, they were asking to like, you know, have um, the DJs we work for play, um, play there. And, um, and then, you know, eventually we did that. Took Joe in 2014, who's my friend who was the creative of those festivals. And um, we were like, let's do it. And I was just, we just brought it to England for fun. Yeah. It was just for a laugh. Did it was they just... know what they had back then? Or was it just blown up in the last four or five years i was with them during the period that it blew up yeah okay so it's like it was special when we were seeing it in 2012 13 14 15 but i don't think this is just my these are just my opinions so like they've got big investors and all this now but these are my opinions from being there at this time right i don't think that they'd like planned out like how big it could get yeah until like around about the time that they sort of got investors and went and went bigger. When I joined, I joined at the same time as this amazing, amazing, like, I don't know, visionary, let's say, Catalonian visionary, Vicence, and um, he really helped grow the company. But re- I think the main thing is is the the love in the company and the fact that this is a family of people, the Arno family, that have been in entertainment for seven or eight generations you're joking me yeah they've got a nightclub they'll have to correct me if I'm wrong but it's it's either it's in the late 70s of age of how long that's been an entertainment venue wow yeah and so the grandfather and the father were both techno promoters I mean the, the, the father really sort of brought it in that the grandfather was doing that they were techno promoters if you go to that nightclub it's in a village of 4,000 people two hours north of Barcelona it's like a village and it's a village of 14,000 people and the club's 4,000 people. Wow, wow. People come from all yeah, over the yeah, nightclub. Yeah, yeah. It's called Florida 135. What's and it called again? Say again. Florida, Florida yeah. uh, 135. Wow. Um, there was like a, a sort of 
like a I don't know a saying like uh, fifth best in the world, third best in Europe, best in Spain, yeah. one three five. But I like it's like a um, like I don't know like not a. So that's been passed down the families. That that club Elro is two hours north. Well, so this is a club called Florida one three five. And but there's Elro, Elro in there. Elro has been in there, but like Elro started after that in Barcelona. Yeah. The family. So so this is fa- the family been in entertainment for generations. Lots of love in the family. All all the sons are called Juan. And um, when Juan went to university in Barcelona, the family moved to Barcelona. The dad was, you know, doing parties in Barcelona as well. Juan went around the world to like, you know, have his experiences in like South Africa, Cape Town, Sydney. Brilliant. And one day, one day the dad, um, sat, uh, maybe San Francisco as well. And one day the dad um, called young Juan and was like, we need you to come back. Mm. We wanted to run the nightclub. Mm. And like Juan then started doing these like Sunday day parties that mm. happened every week. And again, we're in the era of like the weekly party still. Yeah. I mean, Facebook and stuff obviously exists, but yeah. Instagram is not huge then. Yeah. And they're doing these weekly parties where they, I think they just got lots of their mates and hospitality people around the city. Like yeah. you go to any restaurant in the city with them, they all know them. Yeah. And you're just like, they will come in. And those are the years that I kind of found it. There was, the club was called Row 14 then. It was 14 kilometers outside Barcelona by the airport. And like once a month, they would do this thing called the Row Show where they just give out loads of stuff and yeah. have actors and theater companies. And that blew my mind. Yeah. When I took Joe jo there, um, it blew her mind too. And we like brought it to England for a laugh. We literally brought it to England for a laugh. And so theater meets clubbing. That's I love my, that. That's my take and on I it. And that's, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, and because they were using theatre companies yeah. for the for the actors, right? Yeah. And then we brought it to England, I think 2015 or something. We did it at Village Underground. We moved to Studio 338. It was just for a laugh to have a party for ourselves. Mm. And then suddenly, like, started selling out. Mm. Like, And then suddenly we needed a bit of a team. And, and it was just like, and then I got sort of into it. I was like, oh, we could take it to festivals and, you know, have a brand fee or we could, mm. like, make this bigger. And then, we, then like... Joe was more creative and I was more like tickets and business. Yeah. Joe ended up being creative director of Elro. I ended up sort of being the main partner in the UK. I did that for a few years and um, we just worked out a, like a formula. It's like a fear of missing out formula, yeah. showing videos of other parties where we could take it to warehouse projects, sell out in two minutes. We could take it to tobacco dock, sell out in five minutes. We could take it to wherever we wanted to take it and sell out in an hour. You know, there was just like this moment, you know, Ryan did it in, you know, you know, you must know Ryan from Southampton. He, yeah. he did it there. Like, and we just did these shows and we started to do bigger ones like 5,000 cap in Newcastle, 5,000. We did the cricket club in Cardiff once. That was hilarious. And um, just did these shows and we ended up doing a London festival and selling selling out the 15,000 tickets in like um, four hours or something. Where was the London festival? Olympic Park. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Did 15,000 in four hours. It was pretty like momentous in my promoting career. Um, Freddie, um, who I work with, like um, basically like ran that marketing campaign along with London Warehouse events. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Like, I mean, it was strong, you know, the brand, people want to see it. And like, where did you, where did you personally take the brand before you took a step back? Did you take a step back? What, 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 what went on? It's time for me to go, you know, like they, they, um, like me personally, I, I was doing a lot of stuff at the same time, doing Elro. I was, I was direct, creative and bookings, directing motion. I was managing DJs. I was doing a lot. Yeah. Okay. 
I was moving around a lot of the time. I was different in a different vibe, and I was like, "How do I do less?" Yeah. Uh, event- were, you, were you partying as well? <clears throat> yeah, like in the in the sort of earlier years, yeah. And I was much more unhealthy. You know, mm. I was like fat, fatter for mm. like um, I was thirty five kilos heavier. Um, so what, 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 what were you coming in at? One oh between between one hundred and one hundred and five. Oh, okay. And now I'm like seventy. Yeah. Um, Feel better. Yeah, yeah, I just changed my lifestyle, but I it didn't. I was changing my lifestyle while I was still doing elbow emotion yeah. and things, and then I just by changing my lifestyle, I realized like doing less. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was an opportunity to like uh, a favorable opportunity to move on, and it worked well for elbow, worked well for me. Like um, that was cool, and they've continued because the, they were like doing global growth. I can see Juan and Vicence are both very good friends of mine. Juan's yeah. the CEO, Vicence is, I think, the president. Yeah. And um, and then the family, like, just, they're an incredible, incredible family, so strong. And they, I think the dad's written a book about dance music now in, in the growth in Spain, because he's been, you know, doing it since, yeah. you know, I don't know, like, um, Marco Carolla had hair, let's say. Yeah. And um, you, like, yeah they did the, they were doing the global expansion china america vegas yeah. like um merchandise all this like growing the brand like amazingly and it was time to like i think i was the only like uh sort of part like sub partner if you know what i mean yeah. and it was just it was the right a tight time. family yeah i think they, they they maybe did some other agreements with some other people later on but i was the only one of like my type in there and it was like time to move on yeah it's interesting you say that, those sort of runs in the family. Actually, if I look back from the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, from the 50s, my granddad had uh, pubs in East London, and then your parents gave pubs, then the parents were in casinos, then you take on, you take on, uh, you take that on really, and then you end up doing nightclubs, then up doing festivals, and it's just gone on for the last like 70 years. I've never really thought about it until you just mentioned then. Yeah, It's, it's in a, the blood. It's a vibe. But it's in the blood, isn't it's, it? It's in the blood, but these... Now I've lived in Spain a bit more. These Spanish families that pass down their family business through generations yeah. are like it's it's a very natural thing there. Yeah. They literally pass down the same business. It's yeah. the same company that's yeah. open. Mine wasn't passed down. It's just everyone was involved in alcohol. When you look back at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah partying exactly. in alcohol. <laughs> I think in um, the English and Spanish cultures, like. Very. English and Mediterranean cultures or Northern European and Mediterranean are different, right? Very. Stay at home for longer. You, um, it's sort of champion to like be around at, at home more. Yeah. And in England, it's champion to like move out, yeah. go to uni. Yeah. It's a more commercial sort of like thing, getting people to like- A lot more drinking culture in the UK compared to like the Spanish culture. Quicker drinking culture. Yeah. Yeah. Like as in you drink quicker. Yeah. Although it's kind of like adjusted since the pubs and all that, like, you know, yeah. we're open longer now. Mm. So what are your movements now then? What are your movements now? Are you are you back and forth? Are you living full time in Ibiza? <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah. My heart's in Ibiza. I spend as much time as I can there. I've actually just pulled up outside your your office in my Ibiza number plated car. Oh, I still I've got my Ibiza car in <laughs> in England. I drove it. I drove it here because I was looking after my dad um, uh, a little while ago. Like, and um, he then he he then passed away um in in february and then i've been doing a lot of things with my mom and my brother who lives in used to live in bournemouth my brother mm-hmm. but lives in like um a village in between um in hampshire basically mm-hmm. and so it's been nice to be able to come down here yeah, and meet yeah. you like at 
at your house, you know, or at your office and going to drive back to Ibiza um, like and do some stops. I'm actually one of the last few stops. I'm going to stop at the fishing lake yeah. of the old owner of Motion, Tom Guilford. Yeah. Amazing. And one of the last stops, I'm going to go to Monegros Festival, which is the festival set. It's a desert festival in the north of Spain. Festival set up by Juan's dad, Juan from Elro, yeah. it's his dad. And it hasn't been on for seven years due to like, obviously the pandemic, but some other things before that. And they've got, it's just like, like a big, big techno festival, lots of big Spanish techno DJs and Paul Kalkbrenner. I don't even, I need, I'd need to look up the lineup. Maybe the cans yeah. are playing, but like it's, it, yes, yeah, so I'm going to stop there and it's Juan's 40th. We're all, we're all like just, you yeah, know, going to have a knees up really quality. in the desert. Tell me about the Ibiza club world at the moment. What, what are the, what, what does the Ibiza people feel about all the British coming over to Ibiza for those three, four month period? I mean, there's a lot of Brits that live there all year round. Yeah, but not not compared to the amount that fly over there to party for a there's, week or two weeks. There's, there's also lots of Italians that fly yeah. over there and, yeah. you know, lots of French and Dutch. Yeah. And it's the the melting pot of, like, you know, European culture, like in the, the holiday culture mm. just comes there to, like, eat and rave and beach yeah. and, you know, vibe out. It's been an island of rest and relaxation for, like, 2,000 years, yeah. longer, since the Romans were stopping there. Um, when they were going from Cadiz to Rome, they would stop in Ibiza. Mm. Then it was there was an age of salt there. And, you know, a lot of like writers and creatives and poets and pop stars have been staying there for, for, yeah. for years, you yeah. know. And it never ceases to to amaze you. Like Clubland's like, you know, a part of what's going on in Ibiza. And yeah. it's very easy to fall into the thing that it's that the only part. I agree, I agree. But I like, I don't know, when I spent a lot of time there last year, I did a hike. I did a few, like a lot, many hikes in the last few years. Spent eight years living there, did two hikes ever. Mm. Then I've like, now I've done, I don't know, I can't say I've done all the hikes on the island, but I've done one really special one where we set off from the castle, Dalt Villa, you know that. And we went clockwise around the island. Mm. It took 12 days and mm. we camped. We did it with a guy called Toby from Walking Arbitha and he sort of guided us through it. And um, got to like know the island. I didn't take my phone. Yeah. Did it last, last year in April. And... Um, Got me to just really love the island in a different way. Like I saw every beach here in Gito. Do you know what I mean? I've got all like all these little lists of like cool spots or yeah, cool lovely. hikes to like go to, and it's a real joy for me to you'd share have, them with have people. To share that list with me. Yeah, yeah, I'll show you what I got. Hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Going it. back, going back to that question, what do you think the locals think of all the British piling out to Ibiza? I just think like that the, the locals like they've just got their own. They've got their own vibe, the actual local Ibethan people. Yeah. Like, I know a lot of people that are, like, born there and grown up there. Um, but, like, even though I've been there 10 years, I don't know a lot of people. They're born there, grown up there, but they might not be from Ibethenkin heritage. But I don't mm. know loads of people from Ibethenkin yeah. heritage. What's your gut feeling? I think they like the business. Do they like the business? Is that I the business wins think, all day I, long? I think, I think they like the business, but they like to keep their little ro their, their roads and Caminos like... You know, to themselves not necessarily to themselves mm. but not like overhauled with people going to parties or going to retreats or whatever yeah um but that's just like my gut yeah but it's like it's good business isn't it like you know because and then if they don't come then well they, they, the they, they would have felt it yeah, they would have felt it the, the last two years yeah the taxis aren't busy the restaurants yeah. aren't busy everyone's like you know where's our thing like yeah. um and Is obviously it? like a lot of them you know you've they've had land or villas or thinkers and then you know people come in and you know they they become millionaires or 10 millionaires yeah. from like you know these villas in the north and now there's more infrastructure in the island and there's you know there's there's a 
great amount of thinking the free thinking that goes on on the island whether it's at communities like the hub or all these other northern outposts of people having like um, free your mind or free thinking dinners or the great healers that are on the islands yeah. the hypnotherapy hypnos um, it? Yoga yeah, retreats. Yeah. there's an amazing hypnotherapist called amanda free your mind and like go and see her she lives at the top of a hill at beniras um yes like and they were just healers like just great healers that are there to open your mind yeah. and there's the clubs yeah. i mean the biggest club story there at the moment is i kind of faded away from it but like privilege has just been has just been bought it's all been it's all been in the, who, the who news privilege? the people that own high and ashwire okay so so you know you've got like they're gonna have the monopoly i mean it's not quite a monopoly but you know what like the creative the creative director owner there jan does an amazing job yeah. it's not you know am i am i going to them when i'm in ibiza you know i'm i'm not i'm doing different things but do i do i see what they're doing and think it think that's great like yeah mm. good but then you've got dc10 which is like the still one of the coolest clubs in the mm. world mm. you know you've got so many great stuff you've got paradise if you find yourself in dc10 on a monday you know you've had a proper sesh yeah <laughs> i mean do you know it's been it's been again that that's something that's grown with them as a yeah. family like i spent a lot of time with them yeah. Like the Italian the Italian family. I had a lot of DJs that had residencies there and you know, it's like it's just such a great concept to grow from what it was, which was like roll in there after space and you know, right, and, yeah. and in those days and yeah. going there at six in the morning and the, the bar in the middle of the room, yeah. no backstage, <laughs> to now like, you know, you're hosting some of the, the coolest celebrities in the world in, in, in the backstage. Yeah. Got like s selling amazing merchandise and fashion, like they they were doing you know, having Virgil Abloh DJ there or like, you know, having incredible headliners like Seth Troxler or Yobby Obsa like play there. It's like, mm. wow. And Antonio and Andrea are just like very, very special people that have been able to create that with a solid Italian family ethos. I'm yeah. lucky to have been at some of their, you know, in, in their family for some, for, for, for periods of my time mm. on the island. Would you prefer space or higher? space every, all, yeah. all day all day every day all day long yeah, yeah absolutely i really enjoyed this conversation thanks for coming down to the studio um and i've uh, really enjoyed your honesty and you've brought a whole new different uh feel to that ibiza area and the elro and i think people are going to really enjoy this amazing amazing we'd love to get you over to ibiza yeah, to come check out the hub meet some people podcasts i mean the po the, the episodes i've listened to the podcast have all been ace and i like the way that you just you get into another bit like what's the deal so people can really understand <laughs> yeah. like because it's, it's hard to understand if you're not in it of and then if you listen to the podcast or you do your course that um that watch the video for your course that's amazing because there wasn't anything like that when i had people come work for me or when i was just starting i had to just go out for lunch yeah. with people to understand yeah, yeah. how to do it but that's why we've done it we created the event crowd course the online events course for people to understand the events how you do events you know we brought in 40 of the industry experts from glastonbury to the Olympics to Wimbledon to London Fashion Week brought them all in to pre-record so people can understand about promoting and events and and uh, marketing and putting on an event and there's no one I don't know in this in the world here in the UK or in the events world for me to open a door once they've done the course it's really important for me to open a door to say she was great he was great there you go go and have a go and have a chat that's that's the value yeah like that opportunity of like door opening to go and see what like opportunities are out there and then people going okay well if they've done the event crowd yeah. it's called if they've done the event crowd they've got the diploma 
they get a diploma and then once they've had one person that's good from the event crowd they'll just keep taking yeah. them then people pe if you're learning and then you open people up to a community afterwards that's, that's amazing key. yeah i agree it's amazing yeah totally agree ramesh really enjoyed it mate thanks for making the effort and i will see you in ibiza 100 percent. amazing dodge good man nice cheers one. mate